Welcome to Mental Radio, where we talk about mental health from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Jesse Zookman, and on the show today, we have Nick Cavalier. Nick is a director in Hollywood, California. He directs commercials, he directs films, and he does it all while having bipolar disorder. Um, we've got a lot in common. I used to work in television and film. Nick still does. So we compare a lot of notes on how we manage. Nick's whole thing is just really harnessing his his manic uh, creativity and putting it into his career. Um, and regardless if you're bipolar or not, this is a conversation all about like creative outlets, catharsis. And um, I don't know, it's hard to not be inspired by Nick because he's just got this, he's got this inner confidence um, to conquer his demons and this and, and, and this way of looking at his life in the world where there's no illusions. He's totally upfront about what he's dealing with and, and, and the suffering that's in front of him and, and, you know, just how hard and how many obstacles he has just to live his life. But he's determined to do it, so he's figured out a way to do it. He's a real warrior in that sense, and, uh, and we talk all about that. Um, Nick uh, goes into his self-care protocol in detail, and uh, we compare notes. So uh, I invite you at home to come compare notes um, with all of us on managing bipolar. And regardless if you're bi bipolar or not, there's a lot of things in here that, uh, that, that, that are going to resonate with everybody struggling with a mental illness, whether it's disabling or just uh, a mild uh, version of whatever you're dealing with. Um, that said, don't make any changes whatsoever to your health care plan, your mental health care plan based on anything on the podcast. And I mean that. Uh, you got to talk to your health care professional. We're not doctors. We're not health care professionals. We're just two patients shooting this shit. Uh, don't do what we do. You got to talk to your people. You got to get the support that you need. Um, if you do find the conversation valuable, Valuable, please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org where you can make a tax-deductible contribution today uh, and support the project. Um, if you can't donate, it's tough out there. I'm right there with you. I get it. Um, we really need help promoting this project. So please share the heck out of it. Post it on your social. Share it with your friends and family, whoever you think might benefit from this conversation. That said, I thank you for joining us, and I bring you Nick Cavalier. Hey, Nick. How are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm hanging in. Um, just tell people a little bit uh, about who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, my name's Nick Cavalier. I'm um, I'm a filmmaker in Los Angeles from, from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I'm a uh, manic depressive and bipolar as well. So um, I assume we deal with some of the same both career and life issues, you know, having read up a little bit about what you do and, and all the stuff, uh, all the articles and podcasts. So it'd be fun. It's, uh, it, it's strange because I, you know, there are, there's so much media out there about problems of mental illness. And, you know, I think there's a place for that, but I, I really find that the more I look, the more I see, or I don't see people actually, um, talking about what they do, uh, number one, to recover, and number two, to manage and still operate at a high level. So when I started reading a little bit of your work, it's immediately stood out to me as like, okay, this is a person, he's one of us, and you know, you're doing something that not a lot of people are doing, which is actually talking about what it takes to thrive, which is something that 
you know, that's what this podcast is all about. Um, do you find that as well? Yeah, I, I I've said this a couple times on a on a couple other shows and stuff, and uh, I've I, I don't I don't it's just my opinion, so you know take it with a grain of salt. But I think the the destigmatizing of mental illness is great, but it kind of comes at a cost. Um, like I, I'm big on personal like accountability and personal sovereignty, and and taking control of whatever you have like frees you up to. Uh, like owning it, you know, we all go through that acceptance stage of like, oh, I'm, I'm mentally ill. Now what? Right. Um, but and there's a lot of great resources about removing the stigma for other people. But there's not a whole lot of like practical advice for people who just, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm covering a niche, you know, and, and I'm sure you are, too, in the sense of like being a creative person with bipolar. That's a very specific thing. And I think a lot of people with it are are drawn to that due to the arts as a form of relief, but there's never been people talking about that yet throughout history. There's thousands of people who've had that same issue, you know, like people talk about Van Gogh or, you know, whatever else, but there's nothing on it. So yeah, I feel exactly the same way you do, you know? I mean, even, even just people that I know and my friends that I've met doing this project, like they all, like there's so many similarities. Um, and it's just, it's something that people, don't talk about and I mean I talk about I talk about it so much on the show that I have to stop talking about that nobody talks about it because now we're talking about it but <laughs> all of the patients they all have the same stuff like they all it's not all the same stuff but they all have a regimen they all have a routine they kind of live in their own you know not a monk but their own monk ways they all have their own discipline that enables them um, or I should say enables us to live this life um and not just at you know a regular level but to to live in a powered life to where you know it's a bonus you know and, yeah. and not that you know i would wish, wish mental illness on anyone but the way people live is like it is possible to harness this thing and not that that means everything is easy and everything is simple but it does mean that there's a conversation to be had that isn't just, you know, uh, feeling sorry for yourself. And, you know, there is a time for mourning, like you said, but and, and yeah. for acceptance, but that's not the end of the story. And I think we're just starting to get into this new territory. Yeah, I mean, I find I don't know how you feel about it, but when I if you talk to somebody casually, the de the destigma, destigmatization, if you will, of the national conversation has helped a lot. But if you don't tell somebody that you're bipolar, like oftentimes I find that people don't know. Um, and that's a sign that you're functioning well, you know, when when you can, you know, if you're manic and you're just da -da 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 -da, people can are like, oh, man, what's up with this guy? He's a he's a talkative <laughs> dude, you know. But I mean, but if you if you're functioning well, I mean, people don't know you have to say it. it's like, oh, I didn't know that about you. Well, we've known each other for five years. How did you not know that? You know, Um but mm -hmm. that that so that that part of it is good. But to to circle back to that, like I think, you know, we need to help each other out because I mean, I, I, I we we had connected because I wrote that article on some practical tips on how to how to deal with it, and that was coming out of me kind of thinking about I, I, I the past four three or four years I've I've made a couple projects on mental on people other people's stories of mental health and the challenges that that's presented to them. Um, some of them are public figures. And I, I've been thinking, I was thinking a lot about like, oh, wow, I'm actually using what I do to cope without realizing it. And I sort of had this like 
come to Jesus moment of I need to, oh man, this is what I was missing when I was 16 and I was going through all those problems. Like, it'd be nice just to share that just so that people who are like me that are maybe that age can read something or see something or hear us talk right now and, and not feel like they're, they're crazy. They're insane. Cause you, you isolate, you know, you feel like you're different. Mm-hmm. So. And, um, I mean, I remember there was a, there is so much more now when I got sick, I got sick in, I mean, I was dealing with suicidal depression since I was probably nine years old, but when I had, when the shit really started hitting the fan and I knew I had a problem and I needed to find solutions, there was not a lot of information at all that I could find um, besides just what the doctors were telling me, which is like, take your meds and go to therapy and that eventually you'll get the meds right. That is the end, the beginning and the end of the philosophy that I was able to find. I couldn't, I didn't know anything about self-care. I just figured it out on my own. I didn't know anything about diet. I figured it out on my own. Everything that I, you know, that, and that's why I want to do this project because there was so much shit that I had to figure out on my own. Yeah. I figured it out on my own. And then I started connecting with other patients like you and me and found, wow, you, we all learned the same lessons on our own. And it's bullshit that there's like not a place to go to talk about it. Um, and yeah. you're right. And also to support each other, like you're saying. Yeah. And I think going back to what I was kind of saying in the beginning, just to clarify, like no stigma is great, but if you, even if you have medication, your medication is helping you and you, you need to, and the medication's working great. Everything's firing great. Your, your blood tests are good. The doctor, you can still be, you still have to deal with the, I don't know, sickness of the soul, if you will, that you have mm-hmm. to deal with, with, with the actual disease. To, to me, it's like being an addict, you know, like even if you get off the juice, you still got to find, address the underlying condition of why you turn to whatever juice you turn to, you know what I mean? To kind of deal, sure. fill that hole. So like, to me, it's, it, the practical advice I wrote in that article is definitely like about my life experiences, but I also think it's sort of a philosophical thing. Like you have to develop your own moral compass, your own, you know, lifestyle. And that could be through work. It could be through your social life. It could be through like what you were saying of self care of like, you know, maybe recognizing you don't want to be around in certain situations or certain people, but it's different for everybody. So you got, you kind of got to develop that philosophy for yourself. And that's, I found was the most uh, helpful thing was, was once I realized this is how I want to live, considering I have this, these issues, how do I get there? Then my mind started to navigate like, okay, what kind of a system can I set up to like make my life better? Right, right, right. It's very similar to I, I just saw an Ian McKay quote recently or McKay quote recently that said, yeah, the world is unfair. Things are fucked up. Now what? Yeah. And that fl- that flies in the face uh, really of, of our current Internet culture, you know, where a lot of sick people are going for guidance. You know, the Internet culture says – very often blame somebody else, you know, try to get accountability from, from somebody else, try to, you know, it, it, it's often about trying to control other people's behaviors and attitudes. Yeah. And I think if you're in that world dealing with what we deal with, you, you are behind, you are behind, like you, that's going to hurt you because if you're in this 
if you're in this battle, there is one motherfucker that you need to pay attention to and and a few people around you, right? But the mm-hmm. rest of the world, you're fucking lost if that's where you're putting your energy. And I do see a lot of mental health you know, content focusing on that stuff. And not that there isn't a place to it, like you said, you know, destigmatizing stuff, issues at work, talking about society, there's a place for that. But day in, day out, the thing that I worry about is me, what I'm going to do, my routine, mm-hmm. um, how, how I'm going to get nurturance, how I'm going to have my needs met, and how I'm going to be responsible for myself so I can nurture my relationships and grow my relationships because that's what keeps me grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, just a question for you, do you find that, um, since we, we sort of, we do something very similar for a living, do you find that it's connected to that? Like your, your mood? Oh, well, I mean, so long story short, like I got sick for a long time and I'm still just like starting to inch back into it. But like a lot of the things, and we'll, we'll get to your, the details of your article, um, in a moment, which, uh, you know, talks specifically about how you manage, um, Mm -hmm. your, 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 your own, uh, condition. Um, but for sure, like when I was going through feast and famine as a freelancer working in television, um, yeah, if I didn't have work, I was depressed. If I had a new job, I'd be hypomanic. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was just, I'm just curious. I've never, I've literally never talked to another creator um, in the same field as me, that is also mentally ill. I've talked to other people in other fields that are creative, mm, but I've, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so fascinating to hear that from you. Cause it, I've had that suspicion. If there was somebody like me out there that they would be, <laughs> you, I mean, just for, for your listeners, I mean the, the freelance model of in, in TV production, film production, whatever is so, I was just talking to a friend's mom recently. I was like, she's, she asked like, how many projects a year do you do? And I go, it depends on how many I win. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'll write 25 treatments a year and I'll maybe get, maybe get three. You know what I mean? Maybe Mm. get three. And you're, and you're like clinging on for dear life until that happens financially, Mm -hmm. emotionally, um, artistically. It's, 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 it's something I've had to deal with in the, you know, and also as the more successful you get, the less frequent you work, which is also ironic, you know? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's just it's nice to hear that from you, I guess, you know, just to to know, you know. Have you seen uh, Bipolar Rock and Roller on uh, Mauro Ronaldo on uh, Showtime documentary? No, Showtime is documentary. it is it new? Uh it came out last year. It's just on the internet like in the last couple of months, few months. Um and I can link it in the show notes. It is the best film i've seen on mental illness ever uh i don't know if you know maro but he's uh he was a combat sports um announcer he works for uh, wwe now mm-hmm. yeah and they show they show what him going to look work looks like and they show what a mental breakdown looks like where he's yeah. unable to dress himself freaking out crying self you know i i don't know if he's self-harming but like he's in that just meltdown state and raw and they show what someone like that has to offer that nobody else can offer, especially, you know, when you're, when you're announcing a combat sport, that energy, that manic energy, like it's amazing. And you can't just, you know, you can't yeah, just light it. It, 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 yeah. it go, yeah. It goes back to what you're saying earlier. It, it can be lightning in a bottle, you know, if you can catch mm-hmm. it, you know, I mean, I, I don't just from my own experiences i don't i i can't say this as a blanket statement for all people with mental illness but i know for myself like i would literally be a worse person today if i didn't find mm-hmm. 
if I didn't find the work that I do, you know, I'm not saying it's a calling mm-hmm. or I'm a gift to the industry or, you know, I don't think of it that way at all, but I know for me, I have to do it whether I'm getting mm-hmm. paid to do it or not, you know? And so I think that, that replace that field with whatever it is that excites you. And that, that right there is a recipe for whoever's listening right now. Just that's a direction to go, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just chase down something that, 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 sucks you in like that. So, I mean, as much as stressful as it may be for him, at least imagine he ha- that he has that, you know, like mm-hmm. imagine some guy right now who's probably listening to this in some office at a cubicle and he doesn't necessarily love his job, but he's got a family and he's got to pay for things. You know, he doesn't have an outlet at, at every day, eight hours a day for him to channel that into, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Sometimes you pick your career, I guess, and the career picks you, you know, other times. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck else I would do cuz I'm I'm so dyslexic on top of it like I can I can barely read. <laughs> is the truth? <laughs> wow. That's so tough. So it's like <laughs> I mean, I can read I can, I can read like big text and if I have to like get through a book, I can like inflate it to be like just giant on a television screen and I'll get through it, but uh yeah, I, I mean, I can't work in an office, and I also have like attention problems. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't. that comes with. I it think just, that comes with us. I mean, oh, you know, with the disease. I think that's just. But it's funny. It's you'll so probably. You'll, it, it's funny. You'll you'll zero in on something when you're really interested in it. I bet forever. You'll just be like, wait oh, a minute, yeah. it's four o'clock. I haven't pissed yet today. Holy shit. You know, yeah, like, and then and then my gift, and then my gift because of that is that I learned to talk to people and I learned to ask questions, and I just have this like insatiable curiosity. So yeah, I'll show up to your house with a camera recorder and I'll live with you for like two weeks, and I'll get the story that nobody else could do because I have the skills to do that. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it can be. I'm not again. I'm not saying it's easy, but for people out there who are just totally lost. You know, I think we just need to show other people who are just new to the game, like, this is possible. You know, there is a way to transform these trials into gifts. Um, And just let alone just the self-discovery work that you do on this path is something that most people will not do. Yeah, totally. You know, people that have been to therapy, people people that have really looked at themselves, like, they are good fucking friends. They are good lovers. They are good family members because... You know, a lot of people, they never look in the mirror and we have to look in the mirror. Yeah, I think – honestly, man, like that's – a friend of mine who's a military, he was a you know uh, Iraq veteran and went through his own battles there. He told me like a quote that stuck with me like four or five years ago. He said, the best way to alleviate suffering is to give it meaning, you know? And I, 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 that always resonated with me, especially not just because he's a warrior and he's been through real heavy things. But like if you look at life that way, if you look at anything, I mean what you just said to me could have been in some motivational Instagram speech, you know, that some per- – you know, I'm just <laughs> saying like it's the same message. You hear the same message whether you're mentally mm-hmm. ill or not. I mean life is what you make it quite honestly and if right. you don't take any risks and you're not taking any chances, are you really living? You know, I mean it, it's a much deeper question mm-hmm. than just if you're sick and you ter- need some relief, I think. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm romanticizing it but because mm-hmm. I tend to do that. But I really do think that, um, you know, trying to do something difficult, whatever it is, is is mm-hmm. a key to happiness, is, is, is a beginning of a key to happiness. You know, mm-hmm. it's the journey, not the destination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 that said, like there are going to be times where you can't see that, right? And I I totally get that, and I honor it. And there there have been times in my life where I've been so depressed that I've been drooling on the floor, uh, you know, unable to move. Okay, so like if you're listening to this and you're like, you know, you know, I'm so depressed. How could I make something have meaning? How could I have motivation? It's like there are are pits where this this disease is going to lie to you, and you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to see it. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get a window and you can't like start building in those mm, windows. Yeah, so, well said. Um, it's not it's not an end all be all. Because yeah, I, I know someone on Twitter is going to be like, oh, you know, that's ableist. You know, you can't. Not everybody can do what you're doing. It's like you, if people knew the depths of despair that I have been through. <laughs> like I lost my mind for a long time, and I was able to crawl back. You can crawl back, and that doesn't mean that it's been you know roses uh, the whole time. It's been like some serious suffering for years and I, yeah, years. Yeah, I think you years. need to hit that bottom too. I mean, may, may, uh, maybe I'm, maybe that's not true, but for me, I mean, I know I had to, I had to realize, um, that, that my life is my responsibility. I, you, you can't get angry at what you can't control, you know? So if all you can control is yourself until you have a, a moment of complete control, lack of control, you know, you, you never really understand what mm-hmm. that is. And, and if you get there and you get to that mm-hmm. dark place, I'm talking being suicidal or the other side of that darkness for us is when you're so out of control of your own actions because you're so manic that, you know, you, you're just reacting like a, a feral cat or a feral dog or something, you know, um, when you get to those <laughs> extremes of the human mm-hmm. condition, you know, I think it's, it's easier for you to look at yourself and go, all right, well, what now what? You know, now, now how, I don't want to be mm-hmm. like this forever. I don't enjoy this. I don't enjoy how I'm making other people I care about feel. I don't I care about how I value myself and my self-worth. Like, what can I do to make my life better? And that's for me, that question was where it all start. That's where it all starts, you know, and I'd hope I would imagine it's that way for most people. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the stuff you're talking about, you know, uh, the philosophy, it, it, it sounds very familiar, um, growing up in the New York hardcore scene um, in the '90s, is that an inspiration for you? I mean, I know it is because I saw your your documentary uh, down again, um, yeah. which I'd love to get into. But uh, you know, tell me a little bit about down again. Tell me a little bit about the the philosophy of, of hardcore and metal that you're kind that that that's echoing um, through your. Uh, through your philosophy. And, yeah, and I mean, some of it's definitely that. I mean, I, I actually turned a metal out of my problems. So for me, it was like a really personal connection. Mm. Um, my dad was a drummer and he he was he would teach me how to drum when I was really young, like thir- 12, 13. And that was sort of more or less the beginning of some of my issues was around that time. But I, I didn't have the focus and the dedication to play drums. And I, I, I really... In, I really, quite frankly, don't like to be taught things. I like to learn on my own, you know? So I started, he turned me on to Black Sabbath, you know, like Paranoid and all that stuff. And I got into Metallica and from Metallica, Pantera, Pantera, da, 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 da. you know, you could see how that would get into the more hardcore music. But when I first heard metal, um, it, it was expressing something to me that other music couldn't express. There was an anger, a darkness, a dystopian view of the world that reflected my feelings. And it was like they were speaking for me and it felt like I was healing um, by listening to it. And oftentimes I didn't know what was being said. I mean, screamer metal. I mean, it's it sometimes it's unintelligible, but it was more about the feeling that was communicated sonically 
through the the drop D tuning or whatever it was, you know, it could be a, a confluence of things, but I, it spoke to me and trying to be a musician. It was like, as a drummer, it's probably one of the most challenging patterns you could possibly learn from a coordination standpoint. So it, it, there was lots going on there. Right. And it took me up until, I don't know, I did down again two years ago to realize that that was what I was doing. I mean, this wasn't like a conscious decision when, you know, it was happening. It just felt natural. And, um, and then when I met Mark, Mm -hmm. um, from the singer of Chimera, who I, who was a subject of that piece, uh, Chimera changed metal, you know, I mean, I don't know if they feel like they did, but I, as an outsider, as a fan of the scene and being from Cleveland originally and seeing what they did, uh, they should be super proud of what they did because they created band. They, they sort of like paved the way for like post hardcore, you know, um, and like metalcore and stuff. So they, they, they really inspired a lot of people and hearing his lyrics and what he was saying, I mean, down again, I'm down again, I'm down again. My life is not over. You know, it's to me pretty obvious that it's about pulling yourself out of a hole, you know? Um, and I wanted to do something with that when I did that film, because when I was in the mental hostel, when I was, uh, for the first time 10 and the second time 16 in between then is when I discovered metal. And I found, uh, they would only let me have a, a one DVD at a time in there. And so I, I got, I had just bought their dehumanizing process DVD that they put out in 2001 or something like that, or three or four, somewhere around there. And I, I, I would literally just play it on loop. And, um, it got me through that, you know, it got me through just seeing them deal with it and write and going through all their lineup. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was an inspiring thing written by people who were speaking to me, you know, and, and seeing their lives. And for me to be, get a chance to work with Mark, I did a panel with him, uh, on, on this very subject we're talking about actually like recovery and mental illness. I was like, dude, I didn't have any idea you were, you had issues, you know, I was a fan. I just, I just connected to what you're saying. He's like, well, that's why you did. And so we, he was willing and ready to talk about it after, after the and Mark, Mark is the subject of your documentary. Yeah. You have down again. Yeah. He's the singer of the band Chimera and the, the primary him and uh, Rob Arnold primary songwriter. I mean, they all write, but they're just great guys. And it was so, it was so surreal for me to do that. I mean, Mark and I are friends and it, that's, and that alone is weird, but it's like to be to be responsible to do that for somebody you're a fan of. I mean, that wasn't the first time I had I had done that, uh, thankfully. But um, like he he didn't even know about that story about the mental hospital. I didn't tell him that um, until later. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, so I really wanted to make a documentary that was about the very thing that they did for me, you know. So it wasn't. Mm. It was very selfishly motivated, but it, it in turn helped a lot of people. I, you know, um, the feedback on that one has been metal fan bases. The metal fan base is so vocal and hardcore, and they're loyal. And that community embraced that and ran with it. And I'm really grateful that people like even watched a fifteen, a twenty-seven minute film on the subject. You know, um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of the shorthand of that. So. I, I think I mean it's so powerful and it's something that people just uh, I don't know maybe we've lost maybe we haven't I don't know I'm kind of becoming uh, older but you know when I was a teenager in New York I would go to hardcore shows and they'd be literally like some of these bigger shows 500 people a thousand people 
and going to music every weekend several times was just that is what weird kids did it was a scene dude we would just show up at venues we just show up at venues and not even know who was playing i don't know i just thought i just think that that was so healthy for to come up in that time um for metal and and one thing that you know we i kind of i i it took me again to do down again to realize what was actually what pulled me to it was there's something weird going on specifically with metal in the sense of it's perceived as this like these tough guys and like whoa you know but then you go to a metal show and everyone's like all right we're gonna do a uh, the wall of death and a circle pit and we're gonna you know throw hardcore kicks and elbows and stuff but we're not trying to hurt anybody you know like if you fall down in a mosh pit they'll pick you up you know mm-hmm. um and i think metal gets a bad rap as far as like people think it's like a bunch of angry dudes it's it's that's part that's what draws you to it but the community itself is very friendly and very welcoming you know yeah i did uh, it's actually i it's something i studied in college in undergrad was um the psychological effects of heavy metal music and uh, because then like there was still this kind of perception that you know that was kind of left over from the 80s and 90s of like metal was devil music and um, they found that the only people that had a negative emotional reaction, like the people, the only people that became violent when listening to heavy metal, were country music fans. Everybody I, else, I get violent when I listen to country. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then the uh, the, uh, the and then the people. You know, it was just kind of, from what I remember, it was just kind of annoying for most listeners. And then for heavy metal listeners, they became euphoric. Not violent, not angry, but euphoric. And that was really my experience growing up, going to hardcore shows. And, you know, I remember I had a time in my life when I was at the end of my 20s and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go to shows anymore. That was the kid stuff. And now that I've gone through what I've gone through and I've learned so much about myself and the human mind and the human spirit, I realized that I had such a better idea. My intuition was so much smarter than I gave it credit for um, because being able to go and dance and mosh and be in a group of people who are there to physically support you, um, people that were there to sing with you, people that were there to see you every week, that is the stuff that healing is made of. Um, yeah. Regardless if it's metal or if it's your, you know, your synagogue or it's your, uh, you know, whatever, your choir or whatever. Yeah. That, those elements are crucial, just crucial. I just had uh, Jillian Richardson. She wrote a book on kind of finding those kind of groups. I just had her on the podcast. And uh, hardcore metal have those elements and they're just so huge and so important um, yeah and uh yeah and you talk so so let's get into um your article your article what i wrote it down what is it called here how to manage mania and creativity with bipolar disorder and one of yeah. these one of these tenets is catharsis this is kind of what this is a big part of what we're talking about because yes. along in hardcore along with the singing along with the dancing or maybe a part of that is that catharsis of getting the rage the hurt the pain and being able to leave it all out in, in on a dance floor what i tried to do it down again was it was also inspired by that so i i read a lot of philosophy you know uh 
just as I'm not a religious person. So for me, like to have a moral compass, I just want to take in reason, like a lot of different ways of looking at the world, different perspectives and things like that. And the nature of our job is really that, you know, I mean, you podcasting or directing either which way, I mean, you're, you're meeting a bunch of different people and getting hopefully to know a lot about how they think and how they work. Um, so I read a lot about that and I, I was reading about, I was reading Aristotle's catharsis and, um, I, re- I had that aha, you re- eureka moment of, um, oh, this is exactly what metal is doing or really all good art. Um, but what I really tried to focus on with the, the, the film was in particular the circular element of music. And it doesn't have to be just metal, but it's very obvious in metal. Um, is like when Mark, you know, lead singer of Chimera, writes his feelings down on paper to these songs that are heavy and, and dark and dreary he's healing by writing that and expressing how he's feeling. Right. And there's a genuineness in that. There's an honesty in it. And that's for me in all music, regardless of genre, that's what I look for is authenticity. You know, I want to know that you feel what you're communicating to me. Um, which is probably why country most times makes me want to kill people. But, (laughs) but no, I mean, I'm just kidding. There's great, there's great country, you know, there's stuff that does that as well. I think this is irregardless of genre, but, um, What's really awesome what's really awesome about that is that now he puts this thing down on paper, right? And then they record it. And then there's this moment of aha, we're making this and they make it and he puts it out there and then some kid who's 16 like myself hears that in his bedroom and he feels exactly what he wrote down to heal himself and you heal a little bit by experiencing what that person experienced. And I think all art does this, but in particular music has this ability more than anything and especially metal music. And I really wanted to show like that, that communal connection. And then you go and get to play that live in front of 60,000 people, you know, and imagine what that does to, to somebody like Mark. And then imagine what that does to those people in that crowd. I mean, and so to me, this gets into what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast too, of like finding some sort of purpose to alleviate what you're doing, which what's pro what your problems are with your mental health. That's a That's if you asked Mark when he was 19, trying to start a band out of high school, if you, if you'd be opening for Metallica in front of 60,000 people, he, you would, he would have thought you were crazy, but the, you know, that you got to start with the first step and just being a fan of that music himself is the first step, you know? So there's this weird cyclical, weird kind of thing going on with catharsis in art where it inspires other creators to make it. It helps folks who have to be able to express themselves when they can't express it any other way. And you yourself as a creator get to express yourself. So there, there's layers to it, you know? So you've got that art. So that's a super important thing to you is to be able to make art, express art, be around art. But you do all these other things to to take care of yourself that you just see as imperative that you wrote this article about. Yeah. Um, how did you figure out what you figured out? What was that process like for you? Um, well, I kind of touched on it in the article a little bit. But when I was um, I mean, I got diagnosed really young. So that's where I, I sort of got lucky is um I was a very racy, spotty kid. Um, and the only thing that would really focus me was like a task, like drawing or drumming or something like that. And to this day, that's still the case, to be honest with you. Um, and I just thought that's how everyone felt. And then um, I started having daylight hallucinations and stuff. And my parents put me in a sleep study, yada, yada, yada. Come to find out you're bipolar and you're, you're on the manic end of bipolar. Um, so 
they they started medicating me, and this is in the '90s, so you know, they didn't really have it down to a science. And even as a little kid, I remember knowing that. And uh, mm-hmm. I knew that the you know, just to be clear, any doctor I've ever went to, their their intention was to help you. You know, it's not like somebody's out there maliciously trying to, you know, do some conspiracy theory stuff going on. But it 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 felt to me very like hopeless and helpless as far as like a cure, you know, like there wasn't going to be a cure here. So one good thing about having a situation like that circling back to our bottom conversation is, you know, you have to hit that. When you hit that and you're like, you have nowhere to turn, you have to start taking responsibility for yourself. And I slowly over the course of, I don't know, 20 something years figured out what I wrote in that article because there was a couple pivotal moments. One was realizing when I went to college, I realized that um, I was in a new environment. And if I was ever going to go off of medication, this would be the time. I'm not supervised. It could go really, really bad. But um, at least I have the freedom to try something. And I'm not a slave to all the people who knew me as sick Nick, you know, in my hometown. Mm-hmm. So I did. And for the first time in my life, I was getting real feedback from people. It wasn't like colored in by my disease, right? It wasn't people saying, oh, don't worry, he's bipolar or like whispering into somebody's ear, don't worry, there's something, you know. So I was getting, nobody knew that I was sick. So they just thought I was annoying, you know? <laughs> so, so, yeah. so I, you learn quickly from that, you know, your social, the social feedback was huge. So to me, like that was the beginning of the step for me of personal sovereignty was like going off of the medication and, and realizing I want to be better. Um, I mean, I would never advise anybody to go off their meds, but for me it was, it ended up being the right decision. It could have gone really mm-hmm. poorly, you know? Um, but for me, it worked Especially out unsupervised. Yes. And with alcohol and, you know, girls mm. and, you know, adult situations that you've never been in before. And so, um, anyway, um, I, that was the beginning of it. But what really did it for me was, um, was when I started to, to, to realize this is what I wanted to do for a living. I, I, I mean, as a younger kid, I had, I was, I was athletic. I mean, I did like soccer and I did a year of wrestling in high school and things like that. I, I was never like the best at anything. But I was always physically active. Um, and then I went to college for video and film production and I'm sitting on my butt all the time editing hundreds of hours of video from tape in the analog days. So like mm-hmm. I started I started to get out of shape, you know, and I started to like feel lethargic. And as most people do with medication, the ups and downs were so bad draining on me through for those 10 years that I just thought my metabolism was shot. So I kind of gave up for a while and I put on some weight. And, um, I, anyway, I got out of school. I went to, uh, Chicago for a job when the recession hit. Um, I took a full-time position knowing I wasn't going to be there forever, but it was a good experience for me, but I didn't like the job creatively. So I had a lot of angst like I did when I would went to go to metal shows. Like I felt like I was wasting my life. I felt like, you know, I I just had this feeling of helplessness all over again. So I I took up kickboxing at that point. I I started taking privates with a a golden gloves boxing guy and whatever. And that's when I really started to practice what I preached in here. Um, I still have my highs and lows where I'll just blow up. I'll like put, put a bunch of food in my system and like balloon up maybe, you know, 10, 15 pounds, but I'm, I'm consistent with this stuff that I wrote in this article enough where I'm never like not feeling good, you know? Um, and that has, that was the first thing to get my mind right. I realized is that, 
Um, I, I've heard like the comedian Joe Rogan talk about it on his podcast about, and it's the first time I've ever heard somebody say something that resonated with me of what my body felt. He said, I feel like the human body body needs to like for men, especially needs to get that stuff out. And I find that I'm a nicer person and I'm less, ma- I'm less likely to, to shoot into mania and be depressed when I can get all my energy out from some sort of strenuous physical exercise. Um, lately it's been hill sprints, like inter- interval hill sprints, but you know, it could be anything. It was hitting the bag for a long time and working the pads and sparring, you know, it, it could be anything. And I know I saw that you, you do kettlebells as well. And like that, that stuff for me, it, it helps a lot. I, I don't know. That, that was, that, that was a big moment for me right there. Um, I'm just pulling up the article now. Um, the, uh, the routine part came from college as well. I talked about routine, idle hands, being the devil's play thing. You know, so let's go through. Uh, let's let's put some backpedal to, to organize yeah. it a little bit for everybody at home. So so the things you have. So you do a lot of different things. The things that you list, um, you list. Um, uh, let's see, flow states, education, your routine. Um, you talk about emotions and feelings and being allowing yourself to to be human. Um, all of these things. So starting from the top, the first thing that you and, and exercise, obviously. Yeah. So uh, so you're saying just just with that in mind, just so you know people understand what the article sure, is. Sure, you can sure, Go you you can go over to the mighty or just uh, if you're if you're if you're uh, listening at home and you want to see the article, um, if you just Google uh, Nick Cavalier uh, bipolar mighty, it comes up pretty quickly. Um, Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, so I started with purpose prefer- and passion. Then, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that that was the what we talked about in the beginning. Just giving something me like Victor Frankl, "Man Search for Meaning." I mean that that book. You know, he he lived through unbelievable circumstances, and what got him through it was that very thing that like this 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 is for some reason, you know, um, and I think. You can. Some people turn to religion for that. Some people turn to whatever. Insert X. For me, it was the work. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, um, and not that like there's some existential. It's just like it's a reason to get up every morning. You know, it's like I want to sure. create things. I want to build things. So that. So if things are bad, instead of me going, I'm depressed. I'm gonna wallow in it. I go, all right. You're feeling deeply right now. Write something mm-hmm. sad. Write something horrible. You know, wh- like wh- find a way to channel this feeling you have of the human condition that's a unique perspective into something that makes your life better and that was Mm -hmm. that's that first step um catharsis what we talked about earlier just like it's that ah feeling for me i mean that's the best way i can describe it i mean um you could now catharsis could be a bad thing you know you could you could sort of over over purge or i mean i feel drained after a shoot man you know you have 18 mm-hmm. hour five 18 hour production days or something and there's 20 people looking to you for you know answers and you don't have them and you just gotta you're getting through it and you're 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 trying to make something really powerful and and it, it's draining you emotionally physically uh all of it and then you go home to your apartment and you're like just tapped i mean i feel like somebody took a uh I feel like an, uh, a maple tree at winter time, like after the, they take all the sap out of it, I'm just drained. You know, I mean, I, it's just, I, I, I just, I truly can't feel anything. I'm very like numb. And in those times I know that I can't create, you know, 
Like I, I need to give myself a reset period. And that's when all the self-care stuff is really important. So I, I think it's important to bring that up to tie the catharsis back is like, you can kind of overdo it where you, you kind of like, you know, when you're bipolar, you, you feel more deeply, you know, like, that's just one of the benefits and detriments of the disease. You feel the, the extremes of things. Sadness is more sad for you. Happiness is more euphoric for you, you know? Um, so nerves more intense Every, everything right everything mm -hmm. so to me like part of getting older has been and the self-discovery process of that has been to realize that you can kind of overtap yourself too so just know when to step back um flow states is probably my favorite thing to tell people like if somebody asked me like like i have a friend who just got diagnosed with bipolar and she's uh, in her late 30s and she was asking me like, what do you do to, to, to ride out the lows or highs? And this is one of the things I told her, um, basically a flow state for lack of a, an actual Webster's dictionary definition is like, for me, when you get lost in the monotony of a task, so it could be putting one foot in front of the other running. It could be drawing a picture. It could be, uh, you know, creating a film. It could be writing a treatment. It could be writing an article. It could be it doesn't even have to be creative. It could be throwing a baseball over and over again or, or shooting an arrow or, you know, repeating a kick that you learned in Muay Thai class, you know, 15 times that whatever it is, it's, it's a, it's a thing where you're outside of your, your awareness of yourself as a human being in a meat vehicle navigating the world. You know what I mean? Like you, you cease to be a, a thing, you know, you're just, you're just in the, in the task with bipolar, rightly or wrongly. I mean, the symptom is that you feel these highs and lows more extreme. And if you can, if you can tap into that and sort of, you know, um, connected to flow states, I mean, I find that when I'm writing or something and I'm feeling sad, right. Or I'm feeling really depressed, I can take that feeling and I can channel it into what I'm making whether that is the words that I choose to write in the screenplay or in the treatment, or it's the overall tone of the piece that I'm creating or the music selection I make, there is a way to use a flow state connected to how you're feeling and just, and, and put it into your creativity, put it into your, your life. Now, if you don't have a, a creative vehicle to do that, you know, that's a different conversation, but specifically, and what is it for people who don't know? What is a flow state for people who don't know? I mean, I believe a flow state is, uh, I mean, I, the definition to me is, is when you transcend your sense of humanness or your ability to feel your body or aware that you're of your mortality or who you are, or what, what you are. And you're just stuck in a task, the monotony of a task. I mean, that's, that's how I define it. But, um, I mean, it, it's, I, it's a, it's a kind of like an Eastern philosophy, right? Um, it, or it's, it's not something that, um, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's scientific. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I, I assume it to be like, you know, sort of like yin and yang, you know, um, kind of a thing like, you know, like Bruce Lee, Jin Kundo be like water, you know? Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it very helpful, man. And I think when you're newly diagnosed and you don't have a, you haven't found your philosophy or your scaffolding or whatever, that's a great place to start. Just do stuff that takes you out of your sense of self. And you'll find that you're, if you're depressed at that time, it goes away. If you're manic at that time, it kind of goes away. You're sort of just in the task, you know? Mm-hmm.
Yeah, I definitely got had that with work and just asking questions. I remember just feeling just totally just floating, not, you know, it's like similar to dissociation, but it's like you're in the rep. It's like a, it's like a walking meditation almost where you're doing a task. It's a repetitive task. It's something that helps you just connect to the world in a way. And it, it can happen. And, and, and time just seems to fly by. So it could be taking pictures. It could be, you know, certainly you can get into flow with, uh, you know, some kind of exercise, especially have as has a creative element into into it, um, but you just start to like get into that space. And during that time, I don't know what's going on chemically, but I can guarantee you dopamine, serotonin, all the things that you you know a lot of people go to uh, meds for are uh, certainly enhanced, um, and you come out feeling recharged in a way that perhaps you don't get from some meds. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, f- I feel I feel very. Um, this again goes back to the, the conversation we have about set and being on set. When you're in that moment where you're working 18 hours a day, you're not thinking about what time it is, when you need to eat, you know, when I'm going to pay my rent. You're just in this task. You know what I mean? And that I think for any human, take mental illness out of it. That's a helpful thing, you know, to transcend your humanness in a way. Um, Do you find do you find that doing something so tough, though, especially with sleep? I mean, I, I, you know, I'm still I mean, I, I don't you know, I'm come a long, long way. I've been, I was disabled for the, you know, a lot of years, the better part of a decade. And now I'm coming back and it's like, okay, I'm going to jump into working those days. Like, I just can't imagine it just because of the sleep. Like, does it, do you wonder like if you can do it forever or do you wonder, you know, is this the best thing for you considering it is just such a brutal industry especially when you're adding travel on top of yeah, it yeah. especially when you're adding not eating great on top of it yada yada yeah i mean i don't know man i love it too much i love the contrast of it personally i like the i i think it again connecting it to bipolar it's so manic and it's or it's so uh bipolar in its nature you know like like the like for folks who don't know in film like you, you know, like I'm, I'm about to do two projects for two different winemakers in, in San Luis Obispo and Central Coast. Uh, so I'm going to drive with a friend starting tomorrow, four days straight, you know, taking our time, camping out different parts across America. It's something him and I have always wanted to do. And we're going to go to wine country and we're going to shoot. We're literally going to be there for eight days, seven of which are production days or six of which are production days. One's a scout day. Right. So we're going to travel for four days. And then have seven days, 18 hours a day. Now, granted, this is like a passion project with some friends of mine who are winemakers. It's not a, a, a commission where people are paying a lot of money. So the stakes aren't as high, right? But I'm still going to do my best and I want to make something really good out of this. And um, we're, of course, we're going to be drinking wine and whatnot. So the reason I bring I set the stage up is to answer your question, I'm kind of going a long way. But um, that's the stage. That's that. Then I'm going to go on a train. I'm going to be reeling and high on life from these crazy days. And then I'm going to go right back to my apartment alone, empty. And I'm going to like start editing footage and, you know, doing dailies. And it's a very solitude, like solitary uh, task. Right. So in that, I mean, those are two giantly contrasted experiences, you know, as far as a work, a a work relationship and your connection to your work. Um, so I find that to answer your question in those days, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm too high on life to, to, to think about sleep or, or whatever else. I mean, I feel like I'm living my purpose in a way, 
You know, I mean, that, that may be completely delusional. Maybe I just like enjoy the work, but, um, I really enjoy, I, I'm so in the task and enjoy it so much that I, there is no time to think about that. And, and if I, if that thought entered my mind, I'd throw it out. You know, when I, when I have problems is when I get back into my apartment, you know, and then I have like imposter syndrome, you know, I get that to set in, like, are they ever going to hire me again? When are they going to figure out I'm in my underwear editing this thing, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, and look, people don't need to know that and they, and they don't know that. And, and quite honestly, they would, they wouldn't care if they did. It's just something that's chattering in your head. Um, you know, and so to me, it's dealing with that. That's, that's the part of the business, like, especially when things are slow for me, this year has been, has been interesting because I've, I did a lot of things last year that raised my profile and this year I've had way less frequent, frequent work, which is sort of the nature of the thing. You know, if you're ask if you're getting bigger opportunities, there's going to be less of them and they're going to be way less frequently. Do they come to fruition? Right. Um, and that's, that's, that's been hard to deal with for me. You know, that part of the business is hard because you feel like you're being personally rejected. You know, you feel like, you feel like you're, you're not creative enough or you're not talented enough, but I know I am, you know, intellectually, but you're just like, oh man, I'm not working right now. I must clearly not be good. And then, then the depression sets in, you know, and then, and then you don't feel like working. So a lot of this self care stuff that I've gone through here, this is, this is for me, I use when I'm in a low more than I do when I'm in a high, when I'm in a high, I'm, everything's too good, man. You know, I don't, I don't, I, and I'm, I'm the one thing I will say is I'm, I'm, I know myself and my symptoms enough to know when I am that high, when is too, when is too high, right? I, if it gets too high where I'm not in control of my speech and my actions, I, I, I have self-care things to pull that down too. But, um, well, I was, that's my next question. Cause like, that's my, still my biggest struggle with this thing is, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll find a new idea or I'll find a new, I'll find out like about some new thing, architecture. It doesn't matter. I'll find out about something at like exactly the wrong time, like 11 o'clock at night. And I'll just be like, Oh shit, I'm up now. And I won't be able to sleep until five in the morning. Um, what do you do if you're in that high, you got a job the next day and boom, you know, it hits. What, what is your strategy for deep, for, for, coping with that well um first and foremost out the gate i will say cbd has helped me a lot in that situation because i get i get real bad racing thoughts um when i go to bed to your point like you're thinking about it may be something as mundane as like oh I'm, i want to find some inspiration for this project or it may be something as critical as like well that check didn't come from that client yet what's going to happen you know and then you get these thoughts and it just it'll keep you up um for that i CBD helps a lot for me. I don't know. Maybe it's psycho. Maybe it's a placebo effect. I don't know. But when I do that, I make like a tea or something at night, like a chamomile tea, and I'll I'll do that. And I'll what I found is connected to the, to turning off my body at night too is my circadian rhythm. I mean, I, we all know that intellectually, but I don't have any daylight bulbs in my apartment. Period. You know. Um, and during the day, all my lights are off, so I have window light coming in at night. I turn on only incandescent light if I have to at all. Otherwise, I light candles. And I find that your natural cycle as a human will help pull you back into a sleep, you know, slowly over time. You're, you know, and another thing to do is to exercise to the point where you're going to have no problem falling asleep. 
you know, I mean, I, I run like six miles every other day. Um, I love to eat, I love to cook and I love to eat. So, um, I do that. So not just for my health, but so I can remain a certain physical, you know, like look a certain way. Um, but also I feel great, but you're tired, man. You run six miles every other day, you're going to be tired. So during those days, I have no problem falling asleep. You know, I don't care how, uh, stressed I am or whatever. I just go, I'm just, I'm just out. So those are two things. Uh, I would say another thing is, um, doing things that you don't associate with work or stress before you go to bed. Um, I, I keep my phone in, and I actually, this is something I'd like to write an article about for the mighty, because there's a lot of like, you were talking about the keyboard warriors and that stuff. Um, like it's easy to just get lost in a frenzy of what's happening in the world. But you know, you and I are of a certain age where this stuff didn't exist. Like you wanted news, you had to go to a newspaper or turn on the TV or you had to, like, you wanted to look something up. You had to go to a library, get an encyclopedia. Like, um, I think with all the wondrous, wonderful things that the digital world has done for us, it's also created so much more stress in our lives. I don't need to know what the president had for lunch. I don't care. I don't care. You know what I mean? It does not affect my life in any way. Um, so one thing that I've done is, is like, I'll just put this in the category of, you know, discipline. Um, I've, I've set strict goals for myself, both for my work and my personal life of like when you're self-employed, it's easy to just keep looking for work, keep, keep grinding, keep man. When eight o'clock comes around any day, I don't care what time zone I'm in. If I'm traveling, nobody gets to call me. Nobody gets to text me. Nobody, I don't, I'm not going to answer. You know what I mean? And if I do, it'll be something that I'm not stressed about. Like, it'll be like, yeah, man, I'll see you tomorrow. Great. You know, um, I, I've set these clear stand, like things for myself, because if you just sit there and, and go through Instagram and Twitter, you're just going to lose your mind. There's always going to be something that's going to upset you. So I, so 8 PM screen, like social media is off at the night for you. Yep. Yep. A normal night for me when I'm working, um, like on a project, is, uh, well, here's a, here's a project cycle. You know, you got those, you start with treatments. Somebody asks you to write a bid. I write a treatment. That's me sipping coffee, listening to podcasts, writing treatments. Life is good, right? I haven't gotten the job yet. Get the job. How do we bring this thing to life? You start doing the pre-production, whatever. That's pretty time consuming. Then I'm on set 18 hours a day, minimum of probably three days now, now, nowadays for my productions. And, and then after that, back to the apartment dailies. Da, 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 da. Now, once I get to that stage, um, my life is actually like a regular person's, you know what I mean? Like I wake up every day between nine and five and I work. Um, and I have, I think when you're self-employed, you need to have really strong discipline. It's just, it's my philosophy. I don't think you can be successful any other way. If you go, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll get that tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. So I I'm pretty militant with my time. So I wake up every morning at like seven. I go for my run if it's that day. Otherwise, I'll just make breakfast and have some coffee and start my day, check my emails. Once I get through the actual work part, I sit there until lunch. I'll work straight to lunch. I'll take 40 minutes to myself to make some lunch. Back back to that room and, and working. And in my apartment, I have a setup this which goes back to what we're talking about here is um, when you work from home, it's easy obviously to like work in your couch where you're comfortable I try not to work where my social life is. I've created, I have a walk-in closet in my apartment. I've converted into a makeshift office. So I try to create some actual visual separation between my office and my, my workplace. Um, and that's helped me a lot. So anyway, that day ends 
Um, you know, I'll, if, if, if it was a, if I feel like I accomplished a lot, um, I'll just give myself the rest of the night for me, you know? So now, you know, and then what does that look like? No screens? Like, how do you wind down to make sure you're tired? First thing I do for me is, um, I, uh, I'll turn on, like, I've been big into perfect albums lately. I've been trying to find albums that I believe are perfect. So I've just been listening to a bunch of stuff. Some of it I've never heard. Some of it I remember from when I was younger or whatever, and I'm making this list. So every night I try to find a new album that I like. So I'll just put an album on. That's like at least an hour, right? And I'll make make a drink or make dinner or whatever. And it's just on Pandora in the next room or on YouTube in the next room or something, you know? Um, and then and then I, I eat and I relax and I wine. And um, when I say no screen time, I mean no phone screen time. I'm obviously a movie fan, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll maybe, you know, if it's a particularly stressful day, I'll have a, a couple drinks. I, I try not to do more drink too much because, you know, we've all fallen that trap with self-medicating. Um so I, I try to do like one or two a night, maybe tops if I'm going to do it. And I try not to do it every day, you know? Um, and then that helps me loosen up for me. My, my, my bipolar is such that my mind, I could, I could easily fall into self-medicating with booze just because it calms me down so much. Um, but since I'm aware of that effect, it doesn't make it fun for me anymore. You know, it's like, I'm not trying to get messed up. I'm just trying to like, ah, relax. And, um, and once I do that, um, I gen t generally at that point, I tend to like slow down, like my, my rhythm changes, um, you know, my, my sense of like urgency changes. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. And that's when I watch a movie and decompress, you know, um, mm -hmm. light some candles. And while you're watching that movie or you're not texting, you're just in no, that movie, no, yes. you're not on social. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would. Maybe not you, but most people. It's been a problem with girlfriends and stuff before in the past. I'll get like genuinely upset if people are like doing other shit during a movie. Because I, I mean, I respect I respect that there's been hundreds of people who worked on this thing and gave all this time just because I do it. You know that even if the movie sucks, the least you can do is give them your full attention. So, so that you, yeah, you know, I agree. I don't know. It's such a it's a it's a personal bone of mine, uh, you know, that I pick here where the people there's not a lot of people in industry and there's like a lot of film nerds and they just have nasty ass things to say about goddamn everything. And it's like if you knew the miracle it is just to pull off even a bad movie, let alone like an OK movie or a pretty good movie and you're just going to shit on all the fucking small little things. It's like. Nothing's ever perfect. That movie exists. No, and and, yeah. if, and if like those people, people think that like like people who <laughs> nobody's criticized the Joker really, but like if people think that like the director of that film is sitting there going, "Ah, I made a masterpiece." N no, man. He he knows he knows it more than you do all the problems in it. You know what I mean? So like you're not offering any constructive criticism with your critique, you know? It's And people who don't know how hard people work, I think they really think that Oh, the, there's a successful creator. They're just like showing up for six hours and saying, put this over there and put that over there. And so they walk away. It's like, no, people are fucking grinding. Like even like people on big movies, they are up. They are working as hard as a human being can possibly work, even if they have a couple of bucks. And sometimes it's less lucrative than you think it is, especially when people are in the early stages of their career. It is a labor of love and uh, sacrifice. You know, it's like... It's like watching, you know, an M like a boxer, an MMA fighter. It's like at the beginning, it's like, okay, 
Like, are you really going to like, you know, th th that person just put their body, their mind, their life, you know, their schedule on the line to entertain you? Like, are you just going to sit on the side and go, well, they look like they're just hugging. Know, like, Why are they just hugging? Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I, that guy uh, he looks fat. Like, I, can see, I can't see his abs. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know? But yeah. it's the same thing. And I, I, yeah, not, not that that has anything to do necessarily with this conversation, but yeah, I wish, uh, I wish that people just respected, uh, and, but people don't know. You know, people just don't know how fucking hard this grind is. I, I, um, I mean, and just what the sacrifice really looks like. I mean this with all due respect, but those who can't do critique, you know, I don't mean it as like a personal attack. But like when you were talking earlier about the social justice type warrior mentality of whatever, what you what you realize about that is it's not really like I don't have time because I'm making things to go comment on things that I disagree with. Do you know what I mean? Like if you if you're commenting on something, you're you're not doing enough in my mind. Like you you, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're wrong. You may be right. I mean, I'm just saying like that it seems like a poor use of your energy as as a human being on this planet, you know? Um now there are things that are unfair in this world, and that's a totally different discussion. But I'm saying if you're going on the trailer for a new Marvel movie and you're having something negative to say, you should probably go make some. You should probably go do something with that energy. You know, that's always been my mentality. For on sure. It, you know, I mean, I have some compassion for folks because I know, you know, there, there's a lot of people on on my Twitter account that are not in great shape, right? And like, they don't, they don't have the model to do that outlet, or you know, to find that outlet, or to, you know, figure out what to do with that energy. And they're just looking for guidance. And if you go online and, you know, you come home from your first hospitalization and you're thinking, well, what do I do? You know, where do I go? It's just the culture, the landscape is that nitpicky. If it's not perfect, it sucks. Um, you know, it's about you instead of what I'm doing, you know, disempowering kind of conversation. You know, I don't I don't think it's like specific to social justice because a lot of the people that are doing this stuff on my Twitter account, they're on the right. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't I, I don't get, mean so, when I, I say social justice, <laughs> I don't mean it as like um, I, I just meant like people who are keyboard warriors. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I don't mean I just mean like it's like um i i do i do some work for a veteran organization you know um the the this oscar mike foundation and one of the coolest things is when you go to these ocr events these obstacle course races that they do these guys are missing legs some of them are uh, quadriplegic or paraplegic you know and uh everyone around them you see them change like you see them get inspired by them doing this and it's not there is no like woe is me about it it's just like it's a super motivating thing right and you'll see people who've never done an OCR who are not in the best shape go out there and do it. They're not trying to get best time. They're not doing whatever. And one of the guys who, who ru runs with them told me – I asked him like, who is your favorite person to see out here? You know, And he's, a, he's an amputee. And he said, I love seeing the people who are doing it for the first time who are out of shape, who are just trying to, to complete it. You know, and he's, he's like, I have, I have so much respect for them. And so – the. That's the empathy I have for people like that that are that are doing it. But but my thought on it is is like it's just a misplaced uh, position of energy. You know what I mean? Like all you have to do is put that into something that makes your life better. I mean, I don't like Trump as much as the next guy, but I'm not going to sit here on social media and just that's going to be my life now. Six hours a day commenting on posts. Like I'm. There's so many other things you could be doing with your life. You know. 
Um, right, but but we need we need is that organization for us exactly because right? yeah, it doesn't exactly. really exist. Yes. Yeah, because like if you if I mean and and I get it right right that makes like like when I'm when when you're telling me that story I'm putting myself in there and what that would look like for us right because like if you lose a limb you know what people who lose a limb I don't know for sure but I bet they deal with similar things to us where you know, not everybody understands what that is like. People don't know what you need. You know, you have all these things to say. People don't really get it. You have these unmet needs. And then all of a sudden you're in a space where everyone gets what you're going through. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, Absolutely. In a way, it's a brotherhood. In a way that, and then they're modeling behavior of crafting a reality with this, like where they're, em- they're empowered to create their own life and connect Sometimes we don't have that. Yes. Right? Yeah, dude. Sometimes all you need and you and I both went through it on our own. But us talking about this, sometimes you need is just to know that you're not alone, that you know that there is somebody out there that has made it through what you've made it through, that it is, that it is possible to recover. Um, and then once you see that, you can start even if it's you're not trying to be them, you can model. It's like us as creators, like we all got into film for a reason. We we're all inspired by some movie or some person or some director or something. And then along the way, you find your own voice and your own methodology and your own way of doing it. Like getting better is no different. I mean, I, I think. But you, again, to your point, you need to see that it's OK. You know, you need to see that there's um that there's there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel and you can make it through. So if we had our own Oscar Mike Foundation of like people who are brotherhood, I mean, I would actually in a caveat to the article that you're referencing, I would add one more to this list and that would be Okay, great. And that would be community. Um mm, because mm-hmm. the thing that I like most about production, and I'll even relate it to the military, is when these guys retire, you know, the twenty two veterans a day suicide thing is a real thing. And a lot of times it's not because of injury and not because of, um, of, uh, you know, PTSD or anything like that. For, at least from the guys that I've talked to, it's about loss of purpose because you're in this subculture of the military where literally if you go in a military base, which I've been on them there, it's a whole community. I mean, the barracks, the houses, there's their own supermarkets there. They don't have to leave that base. They're in a different culture than us, you know, wherever they're stationed. And then they're then not only that they're conditioned for fight or flight response and you know and dealing with like this intense operating at a high level and high cognition and physically and all of that and even if they don't agree with the war or anything like that they're fighting for those brothers to the left and the right of them that know that life like they do and for me when I get onto a set and this is goes back to us talking about why it's frustrating to watch somebody text during a movie or something is. What they don't see is the sound guy and the PA and the grip and those folks on there who are also inspired by movies who are doing the most physical possible jobs under the craziest circumstances just to make art, which is silly if you really break it down. It's not war like that. You know, it's kind of a, a, you know, it, it could be looked at as a futile gesture. Right. But it isn't because we all care about it. And so that that camaraderie, that brotherhood, to those people together, that's the thing about filmmaking that is so exciting. And it is in some ways mirrors the, the brotherhood of the military. So when you leave something like that, you need to find a new purpose. You know what I mean? And community, community is crucial for all people. There's a reason solitary confinement is one of the worst things you can do to a human being, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I've, I've always felt that being around like-minded people is one of the most helpful. That also goes back to our, man, we got a lot of callbacks here. This goes back to the, this goes back to the music thing too. And, and going to shows, you know? Yeah. 
No, and I think that was like one of the most traumatic things for me was because when I got sick and I couldn't work those days anymore, all of a sudden I didn't just lose like a livelihood. I lost that connection. And people don't understand what it is like to travel with people in this unit, you know, and it, there, there's a, a book called Tribe by Sebastian Younger, where he talks about tribes and the military. And it is really similar where you're in a group of people, you're, you have a task, you have to go into a new territory you don't know, do something really hard and come back with something. You know, and that's that's your footage. And so when I got sick, I lost, you know, I lost that, too. And that intimacy that you share with people is just it's huge. Um, and it and and honestly, like one of the reasons that I've been feeling a lot better lately is because I have been just figuring out how to recreate that in other parts of my life. And, you know, not that it's exactly the same, but, you know, I've been going to synagogue. Um, I've been, uh, you know, going to this independent underground professional wrestling, which is kind of like this punk rock metal wrestling where people show up every other week. They see the same people. They participate. They chant together, uh, you know, and no, it's not the same as, you know, going on one of these like warrior journeys like you do in production, especially in nonfiction production. Um, but it fills a little bit of that void. And I've been able to just piece together all of these little things that now like I'm starting to feel centered again um, from doing that. But yeah, that was a real loss. And I've thought that comparison um, before. And uh, the other thing that I, I'm finding interesting about uh, what you're saying is that you keep referencing other things we're, we've talked about. Uh, I did not know, and, and I do that more than anybody, and it's like actually a part of like how I direct. Yeah. Is I see these disparate things Patterns. all connected. Yeah. yeah. And I see it like kind of in a, uh, like a synesthesia kind of way where, you know, when I'm shooting uh, a show or a movie, I'll see all of the scenes in my mind and how they connect to each other. And then when I bring it to an editor, I'm just like, oh, I'll draw on a whiteboard. Okay, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's how this relates, here's how this relates, here's this do it you know yeah go get them and they love me because of that but is that how your mind works too a little bit where you start seeing connections in conversations and jump back and forth a lot yeah no yeah of course um but as far as directing it it's a little i I, they're not mutually i mean i think the the writing part is always that like when i write like when i'm the you know the pre-production stage of like the treatment but you and i both know that's like a dream uh with a plan it's and you know like will chamberlain a dream without a plan is just a wish but it doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's going to go down you know <laughs> like uh like i'm sure conor mcgregor thought he was going to beat nate diaz you know what i mean didn't go down that way do you know what i mean so like like things happen when you're on set so i've i've learned to let go i'm I'm a control freak by nature as far as like the work is concerned i would love to micromanage everything but once you work with like a good dp and a good you know, a good, uh, a crew and you realize they're so much more capable than you could ever direct them to be. You just set, I, I like to set, I like to have a, a, a North star as far as my plan. And then I'll piece it together to your point of like our minds working that way afterwards. So I'm just setting ourselves up for the best possible chance of success. And again, going back to the community part, I want to create a community and an environment on set where these guys and gals can feel like they're 
that their voice is valued because it is to me. I I want I I got a DP because I liked his stuff from the past. I want to let him do his thing. You know, I don't want to sit in there and go, well, I think we need a two stops brighter on the face. That's his job. So I, I lean on them and, you know, a stylist, a wardrobe person, whatever. The treatment's just the North Star for all of us. I want to see how you see what I wrote. Let's all come together and make this thing. And I find that creating an environment like that, of course, there's a lot less control. But I find like when people are, are valued and they want to do something and they're passionate about it, you get better things. Sure. You know? Sure. So, sure, sure. so that that's where I've, I've learned to let go, and that that was a learned thing. To your point, I would rather sit there and piece it all together in my head and tell everybody exactly how to do it. But I'm learning to sort of let go and and let people bring themselves to it in a way that that is meaningful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, going back to uh, us uh, jumping around nonlinearly before, uh, just a one or two more. Um, um, so when you were in college, you had already – it sounded like your bottom was pretty much that hospi- the, the, your couple of hospitalizations pretty young. Um, and then you made the decision to go off meds in college. What made you want to try a life without medication? Um, it, was a, it was a couple of things. Number one was um, I, I, I felt like I was being sedated, um, not from any one particular symptom, but I just felt like – flat, like a flat note, you know, I just felt like, um, like not myself or a shadow or a a hollow shell of what I used to be. Um, that was just like the feeling I had. And then, um, I, I went up and down with weight a lot because of the meds. Cause you know, from 10 to six, 10 to 19, rather, that's like the most crazy hormone shifts in any human's body. (laughs) So, I felt like I would get a new pill or something and it would be working for like a week and then I'd go get a blood test and then it'd be like, let's change that. This is messed up. That's messed up. And I don't know. I just, I didn't see it being a a solution like in the way that the doctors were treating it as like, take this pill. Everything will be fine. It it was never fine. So I was like, if, if I'm, if I'm going to function in society or have some sort, I, I can't rely on the pills. So let's see how I do without it. Um, granted this is a 21 year old trying to think that way. So, but there was one, there was one moment in particular where, um, I went to this class. I was, I really enjoyed this class. It was, um, it was a figure drawing class with this, this instructor who was a a world war two or a a Korean war veteran. And he was like extremely disciplined. Um, and he was an amazing representational artist and I was learning so much in this class, but it was at eight in the morning and, freshman year of an art school, I mean, you're pretty much getting very little sleep. So, I mean, you're cutting mat board at four 30 in the morning. You have to be at class at eight, you know, it's just, that's just how it goes. So I was just already tired and I was taking my medicine as prescribed. And I remember I took, uh, I was on uh, for perspective. I mean, I was on 400 milligrams of Tegretol four times a day. I was on Ad- Ativan, Zoloft, Zyprexa, Wellbutrin, and Umbilify all at the same time at the end. And I'm like, it was just, it was so much. It was so much so that I had to, t- I had five times a day I had to take pills. I mean, just the time alone to like set aside and not be embarrassed and leave a class and go do that. It was just, it wasn't practical. So, but this was the straw that broke the camel's back as I showed up to that class one morning and I came early. I was there at like 730. I was like jacked to go to this class. And I was sitting outside on the chairs outside of the, the, the space before people got there and the instructor got there. 
and I, I apparently fell asleep. I woke up three hours later and an instructor was walking out and goes, weren't you supposed to be in my class? And I go, ah, oh, man, I was like genuinely upset by it, you know? And it, it, it was partially being tired. It was partially because my medication was off. I just felt lethargic. And, um, so I was like, you know what? Enough of this. And that was the, that was the, when I tried it. Now I didn't go cold Turkey. Uh, I, I knew that would be a problem. So I slowly just parsed my way out. So it was a, it wasn't like I just dropped it and that was it, you know, cause that would cause problems. I, I sort of slowly went, it was over the course of almost six months that I, I got off. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was tough in the beginning, man, because y- your coping skills aren't there, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and have you have you ever thought about uh, going back? No, um, it's been too long. You know, I'm thirty three, almost thirty three years old. Like it's just that ship has sailed, um, and I haven't had anything in my life um, happen from directly because of the disease where I felt like I needed to. I've had some you know, bad stuff happened in my life and I've had some highs and lows and whatever, but I'm also living a full life now because I'm not, um, or at least I feel like I am for my journey. You know, um, I, I, I don't, I would never advise anybody to do that. Um, I actually think medication is probably the, one of the best things that happened to me in the beginning because I was suicidal. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that can help correct your mood enough just to see that there's a way out of this, you know? Um, so I'm not denying the benefits of it at all. It definitely helped me, you know? Um, it's just one of those things like I'd hit this point where I'm a, I was an adult, you know, and I felt like I needed to take some responsibility and, and how are you going to know if it's really all you, if you're being assisted, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're an athlete first and then you take performance enhancing drugs, you already know what you're capable of. But if you've been taking them Mm -hmm. your whole life, how do you know it's you and not Mm -hmm. the pills, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge, I mean, I got sick. Like, I didn't have, I'll I'll be the first to admit, I did not have a typical reaction. But I got worse and sick and psychotic every time I added a med. And I had a a doctor at first who was very aggressive. Um, So within six months, I was on uh, more than 10 medications at one time. Wow. And every fucking time they added one, I got physical symptoms, like weakness, dizziness, uh, extreme weight gain. I gained 40 pounds. Um, I couldn't like my sensory my, was just, you know, my, my perception of, of senses were just in so in, in incredibly, um, increased, um, that I hadn't, I couldn't hug people. I couldn't touch people. My anxiety was just, I mean, it was bad yeah. before, but no, I, I've been there too. So it was like, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Uh, so like, <laughs> You know, I, I don't tell people either, but I also like I'm not quiet about what the fuck happened to me because it does happen to other people like that, you know, and I didn't know like you. I didn't know, like, is it just my disease progressing? Is this just is this just how how messed up I am now? And like, I mean, I did have real issues. It's not a doubt. But like I had real issues on top of being poisoned. You know, you know what I look at it uh, as is like, you know, the. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever dabbled in, I'm sure you're in Seattle, but like edible marijuana, obviously, like the first time you ever take that and you're mentally ill, you're like, oh boy, what's going to happen? You know, like I really, I really, and that's something I think people should talk about more is like, like I felt like I was schizophrenic the first time I did it. I mean, I thought that I was losing my mind and, you know, and then you start to realize that, oh, this is just the effect of this thing. And so pills get to a point in your life where it's like that 
where in the beginning it's like this shocking thing and then it becomes this very low hum in your life that's just there and i i guess i just didn't like that i wanted to feel i wanted to feel things you know cuz if they're working if they're doing their job correctly you are just in the middle of the road you know and to me i mean I don't want to like do anything I'll regret. I don't want to get so manic that I'll like rob a bank or, you know, something crazy, but I also don't want, and I don't want to be so depressed that I might potentially hurt myself or somebody else. Right. But there's something to be said for the spectrum of human emotions in between there. And I just felt like I wasn't feeling it, you know? Yeah. Um, I've heard people say that as well. Yeah. I mean, especially as a creative person, it's the most stifling thing you could possibly have happen to you. You know, um, I'll take the good and the bad. I'll take it, you know? Yeah. I'll take it. As long as you can cope. As long as, as, long long cope, as you can then. cope. Yeah, that's the caveat, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where would you be if you didn't, if you didn't do, if you didn't have all of the things that you wrote about in this article, um, you know, if you didn't have music, if you didn't have your flow states, if you didn't uh, know about your, you know, all of these self-care things, where would you be, do you think? What would your day-to-day look like? Oh, my God. Well, I think, you know, uh, that old saying, like water finds the passive path of least resistance. Like, you know, um, I'm gonna, I, I feel like I would have found something, you know? Um, I, I feel like, like I was thinking about the other day if, cause I'm at a point of no return with this career. So it's like, I can't, I can't go get a full-time job. I can't even collect unemployment cause I've been self-employed for 12 years. You know, <laughs> I can't, I can't, it's like, I'm, I'm too late to turn back, but I was thinking about it. Like, what would you have done if you didn't find this for a job? It's kind of a similar question. And I thought about, I mean, I love to cook. I love to draw. I love to, there's a lot of other things that I could, the same energy could be spent in and for, uh, in a productive way creatively. But I, I think I would have just found another channel, you know? Um, because mm-hmm. I needed it. I mean, it wasn't a matter of like, yeah. I had a choice, man. I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like, like I'm genius or something. I just, I literally had to do something out of desperation. So, you know, but that, it sounds like it's so built into you. Like this, this like sense of self-preservation is so built into you. Cause there's a lot of people out there that like, you know, they're like, well, I'll do self-care, which means I'll do uh, a bath bomb and eat a pint of ice cream. And that's my self-care. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, I do that you know too. maybe there are days where we need to, yeah, yeah I know. Like, like that's, that was the next thing I was going to say. It's yeah. like, there are days where we need to do that. Right. But there are people who do very little to really have any kind of self mastery. And, you know, what I, where I'm going with that question is like, you know, so I, I, I just want people to know from my journey and hearing your story and hearing all of our comrades who are thriving. And I seriously, like, I don't know anybody who is thriving, who is out there, like you are out there. And there's a lot of us who are, they all have this, it's the same story over and over. I needed to find what worked, you know, maybe they're on some low dose of something, but very often not. And they, they do their meditation, their exercise, they do therapy or 12 step, or they have that community or they go to church or like the, the bases you're cover covering are so commonly covered by people in our shoes. And there's a lot of people who don't have that, who think I could never thrive. Like these people are thriving. And I just want them to know that like, if you're willing to do the work so much more is available to you than you could possibly imagine right now. And the self care stuff, it's not just, it's not just hokey. It's not just like hash a hashtag on Instagram of doing, you know, 
you know, goofy things and, 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 you know, buy, you know, going for a massage, not that there's anything wrong and maybe that is part of your thing, but it's not surface level. People really can reclaim their lives by putting in the work. Um, so, you know, I just want people to know that. And it seems like, you know, you can't, I think it's interesting that you can't even imagine life without finding a way out. Right. Yeah. Like, so maybe that's just innate. Well, I think some people, I think for, for some people it's a personality trait thing, you know, like, like I, I'm, I was a very shy person. I was not shy when I was young. And then when I had all my problems, I became very withdrawn and very submissive and shy. Um, and then I, I went through a, enough things in life where I just was like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Do you know what I mean? And I, and like, so I guess what I'm saying all this is, everyone regardless of your personality and what like if this sounds daunting to you don't let it be because you're not trying to be me you know you gotta you gotta be the hero in your own movie you know like you gotta you gotta find what works for you there's a quote that really touched me before i i did all this you know i started reading philosophy in college and um i was reading plato and he i forget which book it was maybe i don't know poetics or or no that's aristotle but anyways one of his books the divided line or something where he said, the first and greatest victory is to conquer yourself. To be conquered by yourself is of all things most shameful and vile. And so that lit a fire in my butt just to be like, I'm not going to let anybody have control over me. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to, I'm going to have control over myself. And my, and when I say that, I mean the way I feel, the way I react to things, the way I, you know, and I realized that was something I could control. It's going to be harder for you like I was telling myself, it's going to be harder for you than a lot of people because of your problems, but you can do it. And once I believed I could do it, I did it, you know? And I think that's the first part for everybody is just knowing that you need, if you are on a mission truly to find self care and help for yourself and recovery, you will find, you will find it, you know? Um, if you say, I'm going to do self care because I think I need it, and you're not really, you're just kind of touching your toes in the water, you don't dive in, I don't think you'll do it. It's just like anything. Like, I want to lose 40 pounds. That's great. How are you going to do it? You know what I mean? And, th- and that's, that's up to you. You know, that's, uh, that's your journey. And I think that's important to say too. Like, I want, I, I, I'm not like trying to say this is a blueprint, you know, when I wrote that article or whatever else. I, I'm just, I'm truly just sharing what, and you are too, with what you went through and you're hoping it helps some people, you know? Um, cause you're, you're, and I say it in my, in my flow state, like this may be different for you. You know, there, there, are, there are people who I met this guy in an, in an airport once who the way he, he's a, he was a, a, a software developer by day. And what he does for fun is he wingsuit dives out of airplanes with scuba gear, with scuba gear under it into coral reefs. <laughs> And I thought my I was on an airplane at thirty thousand feet in the air, and I was thinking the whole time my hands are so sweaty just thinking about that. But he does it for fun. That's something he does for fun, you know. Different strokes for different folks, you know. Um, so I, I, it's important to say that because, like, even just meeting with people with the same situations as us, I'm sure you can attest to this. They all have different solutions to cope with with their issues. You yeah, know? totally. There's a lot of overlap, but like. You know, I know a lot of people, they love the gym. For me, I don't really like the gym. There's like a lot of meatheads. I mean, and I kind of like that because then you find the you find the nerds and the music people because it is so many meatheads. But um, the gym isn't easy for me. So like I had like the kettlebells, like the thing that got me into kettlebells is like I was really uh, 
I was studying, um, you know, Wabi Sabi and, and Zen and simplicity. And I just saw a kettlebell. It's like, you can take this one weight and you can get fucking like just in amazing shape, just in great shape from one weight and learning all of these different movements, but they're simple movements. You know, there's not like, there's not like a hundred movements. There's like, I don't know, 20, 30 movements that if you could learn, it's a whole gym right there. And I could put that in my car and I could go to the park, you know, and just be outside and breathe the fresh air with this one weight. And there's something about that having been interested in, you know, this kind of like, um, philosophy of Zen and minimalism that like really appealed to me. And then once I started doing it, like it's also, there's a lot of movement. It's not just weightlifting. So it's like, I like to dance, you know? And there's, so there's this like movement, there's this meditative movement into it. That's what helped me find my fitness path. Right. The other shit, the yoga, I like yoga. Okay. But it's not my thing. I don't really want to do it every day. Um, you know, for some people, you know, they don't like the gym. For some people, like, they're going to like badminton. For some people, they're going to like uh, boxing. Like, you know, some for some people, it's just going to – for some people, it's just going to be walking in the woods, like, gently without yeah. Yeah, getting exactly. that sweaty. But I know? think that's an important distinction uh, that you made is, like, that's what drove – drew you to it. So it's it doesn't feel like a chore because I think the mistake people, people make with the self-care or working out in general is they, they think that, oh, I have to just force myself to do it. If I don't get a run in like at least twice a week, I feel like I've failed myself. Like I want, I I want to do it. Like it's fun for me. It relaxes me. It resets me. It opens my mind up. If you're not feeling that, then it's not um, going to be something that's going to stick with you in the long run. So I think that's what you said is really important, dude. Because if somebody's listening to this, this is a lot of information we're throwing at. But like, just start with something that makes you happy. You know, that's why I brought up the flow state thing. Just find something that that genuinely brings you joy that gets you out into the world that makes you forget about yourself. And that, that'll be the first step of your self care right there. You know? Yeah. I, I just did a, an interview with Paul, uh, Marlowe, who's, uh, a, a personal trainer. He's a ex, uh, draft pick of the Toronto, uh, Blue Jays. And he's a guy that dealt with, uh, PTSD and severe depression. And that's his number one thing is like, you have to figure out what works for you. Like if you're, depressed, you're not going to start going to the gym because it's really fucking hard. It has to be if, – if you're doing something and it's not like a drawing force that it sounds fun, that's not your thing. You know, so it's like it should it's it, it, it shouldn't take all this willpower. If it's a thing that takes all this willpower to do, especially in that physical realm – um, you know, maybe at first there's a little bit of that, but it shouldn't feel like that. Sure. Like for me, the self-care things I do, especially with fitness and meditation, like I feel this buzz, like this uncomfortable buzz in my body. If I don't do it, it's not like, uh, I, I don't feel like, Oh, I gotta go do kettlebells today. If I haven't done it in a couple of days, I'm like, I feel fucking gross. And it feels like my nerves are like on fire a little bit. And the same thing with meditation. It's like my anxiety just comes. I start getting jumpy. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the feeling you get when you take a shower, you know? And if you're really depressed, maybe you don't want to take a shower, but it's that feeling where it's like, I need to get the grime off. I got to get soothe myself. I got to get that. Oh, I need to get refreshed. And for any self-care thing, I really think if you're trying to do something and you don't get that vibe after trying it for a few weeks, it's probably not your thing. Yeah. And, and when things do get difficult, if it's something you love, you will push through it. 
you know, or if there's a goal there, you'll, you'll find a way to give that suffering meaning again, right? Like the one, the first thing you learn when you do any combative sport is that your body won't quit first, your brain will, you know? So you, I mean, there's a reason that every wrestler in the UFC has dominated generally. They're generally wrestlers are always the people who end up being dominating force. It's because wrestling is so freaking hard. I mean, you get to, it's it's harder than anything you'll ever do in your life and i only did one year of it in in a d1 school in ohio so like but like guys who are college wrestlers they've done they know every part of themselves they've pushed themselves to the darkest part that you could possibly be as a human and then did another set you know or ran up the bleachers with a guy on his on their back when they had nothing left in the gas tank and i think that i mean physical stuff the reason physical stuff speaks to me is it's so simple do you know what I mean? I mean, it's easy to it's easy to make it dismiss it like, oh, these people are meatheads or whatever. But, you know, the reality is like if you can just put one foot in front of the other and you can do something, it's like a, it's like a metaphor for life. Like visualization is half of completion. So when b- before you learn how to throw a turning sidekick, you have to learn how to throw a straight kick. And then you can start visualizing how to turn your body. Okay, I turn this way, da, da, da. and then you piece together, you piece together, you piece together. Boom! Next thing you know, you're hitting the bag like you're knocking somebody off of a horse. You know what I mean? And and it it's just what I think about it is it's so simple. It's like you immediately see the results. Not maybe not losing weight, but you you can feel it. You, you I ran today. If you do nothing for your whole day and you run a mile, you already ran a mile. You woke up, you ran a mile. You did something today. <laughs> You know, and that psychologically does powerful things to you. Yeah, we know that there's a lot of studies on that that will say exactly what we're saying, where it doesn't even matter for psychologically. It doesn't even matter what exercise you do. It doesn't matter if it's like brisk walking. It doesn't matter if it's light weightlifting. It doesn't matter if it's heavy weightlifting. It doesn't matter if it's yoga. It, it like it, it all helps. As long as you don't overdo it and kill yourself. Yeah, yeah, you can. Make yourself sick. Yeah. Yeah, I get a lot of people saying that too because they're like, well, I, you know, because people will self-harm or like try to overcompensate. I mean, you you can overtrain. You can definitely overtrain. (laughs) As somebody who has overtrained, I can tell you. you Mm -hmm. I know a guy who got um, a friend of mine who uh, he's he's in pretty decent shape or so he looks and he he's a BMX guy and he was riding his bike one day and he just started uh, peeing like – like a iodine color and he, and his wife's a nurse and she's like, Oh, you have rhabdo. You need to go to the hospital. I mean, and he, he was, he's in good shape. So you can, you know, just be careful out there. Just don't listen to your, my grandmother always said, listen to your body. She's 90 something years old. So I'm going to listen to her. I think she's got, she's figured something out at least. Uh, I hope I'm, I hope I make it that long, but, uh, yeah. Uh, listen to your body. I mean, that's, that's the best advice I could give there. Yeah. For for something like this, though, I do. This is like one of the things that I do think you know having a therapist really can help with because people, there are people that I've had conversations with that are really kind of oblivious to overwork, and uh, you know I in production I was definitely close to that, although like maybe not to that degree, but maybe in that world where I would I'd go from shoot to shoot to shoot to shoot, sleep on airplanes and just not fucking stop. And then do it again, 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 and, and for years, um, and then danger, danger, dangerous shit. You know, just 
Um, and then I wouldn't eat. And, you know, so I, I get that mentality. If so, if you know you have an issue, it's like, especially if you're doing very rigorous exercise, it might make sense to have just a tr even if it's not a therapist, a trainer just to check in with to be like, is this within the realm of, uh, of health? Because, um, especially if you have that drive and you're dealing with a mental illness, it is something people do and you, it, you know, self-care can become uh, the opposite. Well, I would say that's part, uh, if you I, would, have that I would say that's part of your self-care is knowing when to, when to rest, you know, um, totally, you know, like in production or in, in any, you know, it also feels like the sky is falling if you're not working because it's a gig economy. So it's, it's easy for you to jump on a plane and go, Oh, I've got to get it while the sun is shining, you know? Um, but, but I've, one thing that's powerful is learning how to say no. And I'm still, still learning. We're all still learning that obviously, but you should do that in your own life too. You know, if something's the, the one thing I didn't cover in that article was the, the more toxic things that, you know, like just regulars, like I've had people in my life who have made my life worse and it takes you getting to a point where you realize that to get them to separate them from your life or, um, or something as simple as like some subtle self-destructive behavior you're doing that's you, you're not even conscious of doing, you know? Um, there's a lot of stuff that you just got to like self-awareness, I guess would be another caveat to that thing is just understanding what, and that just comes with age too. I mean, if you're 22 years old, I was a, I just, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just reacting, you know, at after, after 30, I noticed a giant change of like, you know, yourself emotionally, physically, you can, you can make better decisions. You can learn, you can learn to, to cope with these things. So you know, just, just go along for the ride, but set yourself up for success. You know, that's what I would say is just try to make the most healthy decisions or what you think is the best decisions for yourself. You know, do you have any uh, tips for ending, uh, those toxic relationships? Uh, just say no, like an American psycho. No, <laughs> um, no, uh, honestly, um, I'm not, I used to be one to burn bridges. The only advice I would say is just don't do what I did and light it all on fire which is what I do usually. Um, I, you know, like in a romantic relationship, I, if, if I'm not gonna be able to make this work, I'm just going to assume that like, you're not a part of my life anymore, you know, and like, ah, goodbye, this is over, you know, just blow it up. Like, like say something mean or, um, or, or create a situation where they have animosity towards you so that you know that they're never going to talk to you again. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm of the mindset now that, uh, I want to try to get along with everybody no matter what, you know? Um, and, and it took a lot of like regret, um, to get to that point. So that the only advice I would have is just, you know, be good to people, even if they aren't good to you and, and just move forward, you know, it, it you know, uh, just get them out of your life. But, if it, but <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? What does that look like? I just don't enable people that are, um, like, I, I had uh, I've had falling outs with even professional relationships where, you know, that I, I still talk to some of these people um, and I'm casual and nice to them. But I know that if they asked me to do work, I, I would say no, you know, and that's a power that you have. You have that power to, to, to self-preserve. Um, it's it's harder to do sometimes when you you know, everyone everyone's been in that on again, off again relationship with somebody and, you know, it's just not working. I mean once you realize that it's almost like it takes the fun out of it, you know? So if you realize that you're not going to be afraid of like some form of fate or predetermination to bring you back together, you just go, 
you know, it was great. Thank you for being a part of my life. I just can't do this anymore. And just treat it with some chivalry. You know, that's what I've been trying to at least trying to be better at as I get older, you know, Mm -hmm. I hear you. I hear you. So what, what's up next for you? What, uh, where can people check out your stuff? Um, where, what's go, what should we be looking for? So on and so forth. Um, well, uh, I, the film we talked about down again, film is available for free online. You guys can watch that at downagainfilm.com. My portfolio is, uh, nickcavalier.com. Um, I made a movie on mental health in 2015. That's still available on VOD and everything. It's called uh, force perspective. It's about an artist named Derek Hess, who's, alcoholic and bipolar um and he kind of makes this really dark art to kind of deal with some of his his problems i i i i'm proud of it and i again another person i was a fan of growing up so that was pretty cool um and then right now i'm i'm working on um i have a couple projects i'm actually trying to pitch a series right now around that what i did for mark and and down again uh about a bunch of different artists so i'm trying to get funding for that it's it's it I haven't yet, but I'm confident I can. Um, and then, um, I, I'm working on, uh, a lot of commissions and I'm writing my first comedy feature, which I hope to shoot next year. Uh, the working title is called connected and it's about our connection, our connect, uh, unhealthy connection to technology. Um, so I can't really say much more than that, but I'm excited, man. So hopefully, amen. Yeah. We'll see what happens. So, <laughs> all right well yeah i'd love to love to stay in touch is there anything else you want to add or anything uh we didn't totally uh get to uh no man i just want to say thanks for having me it was uh it's refreshing to talk to you honestly to know that you know and hopefully people feel the same way like i've never like i said in the beginning of the call i've never met um i've never met anybody who did something similar to me that has the same issues so thank you for that yeah, of course. Likewise, man. It's been uh, really grounding, and like you know, I, I just I'm really inspired by just how you live your life around this kind of just inner confidence and determination, and that focus is like I really want to take some of that on uh, for myself. I think that's going to be uh, a little bit of the work that I do in the next uh, couple of months, and uh, I hope uh, I hope our listeners can can feel that as well. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, cool. Well, let's stay in touch. Um, I'll put all of the projects and whatnot in the show notes so people can get a, a direct link and, um, yeah, let's stay in touch. I'll be pushing this out. If not next week, the, the week after. Likewise, man. And, um, you know, and right. to the people who are listening to, like if they, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm, I'm more than welcome, I'm more than willing to, uh, chat about anything, you know? So, Cool. All right, let's do a final, final. Let's. What would okay. you tell someone? If someone reaches out to you right now and they're like, "I'm just really struggling. I'm confused." What would you, in your in your Twitter DMs, what are the what do you what would you say? Um, I I would first I'd like to find more about what they're dealing with. Obviously, you know, but um, I would preface it with the fact that I'm not a doctor, and I'd say I'd say, man, <laughs> I'd say, um, you know, what excites you? I'd ask them what excites you in life. You know, what, what are you passionate about? Cause even if you're depressed, there's something that makes you get out of bed every morning. You know, there's something that fires you up when some show that comes on some piece of music, some calling you have just, just start there, start with that, you know, start with just making yourself feel better by doing something or even trying to mimic your idols or your, you know, whatever, just, just do something that, that makes the world a little bit better for you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, follow that inner light. I just, I fucking, that's such a different model and way of looking at mental illness. Um, and, uh, you know, we talk so much about the self-care. We talk so much about the vitamins, the supplements, the exercise. But that creative piece is really a, a new thing from really anyone I've talked to, the way that you really focus in on it. And uh, I think it's really special. And uh, I'm really going to take that on in, uh, in how I think about this uh, this issue, um, especially for creative people. You know, it's, it can really make a difference for all of us to, to find that thing that lights us up and just fucking go towards that. And even if you're not creative, it could be said that, creativity is an innate human thing. So find something to be creative with. Even if you're not an artist, you'll find something. Yeah. It could be basketball. It could be a sport. It could be, uh, you know, it could be taking care of animals. It could be taking care of kids. It could be being in nature. It could be so many things, but finding, you know, getting a little bit of that light, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of us are stuck in situations where we don't have a lot of light. So, to put it as part of your self-care to just find what that is and just let that into your life a little bit every day to, to the degree that you can. Beautiful, beautiful addition to any self-care plan. For sure, man. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Yep. Later, buddy. Thanks for listening to the pod. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org, where you can make a tax-deductible contribution today. If you can't contribute, please just share the heck out of this project. If you know someone who uh, these conversations might help in some way, please let them know. Share mentalhealthmedia.org with them or share, uh, share our socials. Tag them in our replies. Um, it all helps keep this project going, keeps us growing, and uh, and, and keeps us uh, on track to bring you for what we have next. And we have a lot in store that we want to bring to you, but we can't do that without your help. So thank you. Uh, this podcast, executive produced by A.V. Flocks, and special thanks um, to Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead, Patrick Mohan, and thanks to all of our uh our supporters over on the GoFundMe, Ivan M, Phil A, Patricia M, Lauren B, Colin F, Marilyn S, Alex B, Smo, Cass G, and, uh, and Sean, Jim E, Stuart M, David L, uh, Judy B, Stephen J, Malik S, Nelson P, Stacy H, Patrick L, Stephanie P, Aaron V, Tim W, Handy H, Jeannie A, Rose P, Irving A, uh, Bob S, Jackie M, Tyler C, Sophia M, Johnny P, um, Chip and Nads and Franklin G, thank you so much um, for making a tax-deductible contribution over at mentalhealthmedia.org on our, our website. We really appreciate you. Um, you are keeping us going. You are bringing uh, the listeners this content 
right now. And uh, a special thank you to our new executive producer, A.V. Flox, who has helped just a ton um, and is uh, going to help us bring you uh, content for the next few months. So uh, hold on. We've got more for you. And uh, let people know. Uh, don't uh, don't make any changes to your health care plan, your mental health care plan on your own whatsoever without consulting your medical health care provider. I'm not just saying that because uh, I don't want to be liable. I don't want anyone to get hurt who's listening to this. Um, if I'm taking a supplement and I tell you about it, I'm almost reluctant to do that because I don't want you to do that at home. I want you to talk to your doctor before you do that. If we talk to... Uh, if we if we if we talk to uh, like Nick today, like Nick exercises a lot, but like we said, you know, some people overdo exercise, so you need to have someone there to guide you. You need somebody there to uh, to to hold your hand if you are someone who overdoes it. Anything that works for me in some other way could hurt another person. So it's just why it's so important to have support while you're making any changes whatsoever. I really mean it. Um, and uh, until next time, um, be good to yourself, check in with each other, and uh, you know, just try to make room for whatever you need to feel right now. That's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to be present and just, you know, I'm not judging it. I got some emotions. I'm trying to just to be with my feelings. I find the more that I can just be with my feelings and breathe into my feelings, I can really, I can really change my week. I can change my month, I can change my future just by being present a little bit. So that's what I'm taking on this week. I invite you to take it on. Just be present and make room for your emotions. They're not bad. They're not good. It's just like anything else. It's like getting a splinter, you know? The splinter isn't good. The splinter isn't bad. But, uh, you know, when we judge a splinter, we go, why do I have a splinter? I shouldn't have a splinter. I'm just staring at the splinter. I'm going to just stare at it and gnaw at it. You don't really do anything with the splinter. It's not until you get just like, okay, I got a splinter. I'm just going to be with the splinter for a little bit. And you know what happens when you just be with the splinter? You're not gnawing at it and flaming it and judging it and hating it. The splinter heals. So until next time, be good to yourself. Be good to each other, check in with each other, and I will talk to you next week. Zai Gesundheit.